Well, I invite you to open your Bibles with me to 2 Peter chapter 3, and we'll be taking a uh, second look at the uh, last verse of this letter. 2 Peter chapter 3, and we'll be focusing primarily on verse 18 again this morning. Uh, let me remind you of what we went over last week. Um, Last week we looked at verse 17 and 18 and we saw that there are three final exhortations that Peter gives to his readers. The first one was to be on guard and Peter obviously says that uh, the church should be on guard for the doctrinal errors and moral sins that were being committed within the church. Peter had warned that false teachers had distorted the writings of Paul and also the rest of the scriptures, and that the church needs to be on guard against those errors and the outworking morally that was occurring within the church. Uh, these false teachers were not following the proper rules of interpretation. They were not comparing scripture with scripture. They were not interpreting according to the context. And whenever people violate these rules of hermeneutics or proper rules of interpretation, then the Bible can actually become dangerous. Not because God's truth is dangerous, but because when they twist it and corrupt hearts abuse it, then it can lead people into a dangerous situation. Charles Spurgeon said that corrupt hearts within the church can find poison in the very flowers of paradise. So they can go to the Word of God, the inspired Word of truth, the key to sanctification, and they can so distort it and bring poison to the soul out of it. And that's what the false teachers were doing. So he was exhorting them to be on guard so that they are not carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall from their own steadfastness. That was the first exhortation. Secondly, we started looking in verse 18 at the next one, which is to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We talked about what does it mean to grow spiritually, that one must be alive spiritually in order to grow spiritually, we talked about growth being gradual and progressive. It's not a sudden leap into perfectionism. We talked about the importance of ongoing progress, making forward movement, moving ahead in our Christian life. The Christian life is really kind of like riding a bike. So what happens when you stop making progress riding a bike and you come to a standstill? You fall over. And in the Christian life, if we stop making progress going forward, we come to a standstill spiritually, we're going to fall over. So grow. That's in the present tense. Keep growing. Pursue it. And grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we mentioned briefly the importance of both growing in grace and knowledge. That there's a balance there. You need the doctrinal truth. You need to understand sound theology. But you also need the grace to live it out so that you're living a godly life. 
that's manifesting the virtues that Peter mentioned all the way back in chapter 1, the godliness and all the things that are a part of being godly. So before we leave uh, this second exhortation, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, I thought it would be helpful for us to just think about how do we grow? How do we grow in grace and grow in knowledge of the Lord? And I thought it might be beneficial for us to meditate upon that uh, together this morning. I want to borrow from the Apostle Paul, who had the same concern in many of his letters that the church should be growing. And this is what he told Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4. He said, Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. For bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. So Paul used this word discipline, and that's a very uh, important word because it's the word, it's the Greek word that we get our English word gymnasium from. And it actually refers to the type of training and discipline that athletes participate in in order to excel in their sport. The Greek word implies that athletes are competing in games and they're vigorously training themselves so that they can compete and win. It speaks to the sacrifices that athletes make, the hardships in developing the skills and the strength necessary to prevail in their area of of sport. And Paul loved this analogy, and it's very fitting when we think about growing in grace because we need to discipline ourselves in the means of grace in order to grow. But this sporting analogy is something you find a lot in the writings of Paul and even other authors of Scripture. For example, Paul again wrote to Timothy, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. And here Paul is drawing the sporting realm, the analogy of sports, and making it an application and an illustration for how we should live our Christian life. The discipline that athletes need to commit to is the same that we do in the spiritual realm. And so Paul is telling Timothy, look, athletes, when they compete, they're not going to win the prize. They break the rules. And in the similar way, we must live according to God's laws and God's rules if we want to win the prize as we uh, compete in in, uh, the Christian life, if you will. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, the apostle Paul used another athletic analogy. He said, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. So as an athlete competes, he doesn't compete because he really wants to come in last. He competes because he wants to win. And in the Christian life, he says, really, you need to compete. You need to compete against the world, compete against the devil, compete against your own inward lust, but you compete to win so that you can grow in godliness. Because no one just goes out and and runs in a race with just the idea to to just be running. No, run to win. Run to win the prize. 
And so he's exhorting the Christians to imitate athletes in their mindset and bring that into the Christian life. Paul goes on to say in the next verse, 1 Corinthians 9, everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. So here the games are probably the Olympic games. Sports was just as popular back then as it is today. And he says, everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control. If you're competing in the Christian life, you need to exercise self-control. You need to be able to bring self under control. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable wreath. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box, this referring to the fight, the boxing that would occur in the Olympic Games. I box in such a way as not beating the air. I'm not just wasting my effort, but I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. So again, Paul is saying that we need to discipline ourselves to grow in godliness, to run the Christian life, to fight the battles of the Christian uh, faith. So he's very much drawing our thoughts to this analogy of the sports to give us something to better understand the type of commitment, the type of sacrifice that's required to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The author of Hebrews, whoever that was, <laughs> we got one opinion. I don't think it was Paul. We can discuss that after the class. Uh, therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So you're running a race. Today, at this moment, you are running a race in your Christian life. Run it with endurance. Don't just sprint, run out of gas, pull off the track. You've got to run with endurance. You've got to persevere. So lay aside whatever's encumbrance is wrapped around your legs so that it doesn't entangle you, but run the race with endurance. And just follow up a few more of just how uh, prevalent the sporting analogy is. Paul again told Timothy, fight the good fight of faith. And the word fighting here again can come from the athletic Olympic Games. But fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. And then Paul says of himself in 2 Timothy, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I've finished my race. I've kept the faith. In the future, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness. That's the imperishable wreath that he's aiming at. So all of this, I think, is a, is a good analogy to help us understand what Paul is saying to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.7. Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. You can engage in bodily discipline like the athletes do, and that's profitable for a little bit, 
But godliness is so superior in the profit that it brings to us because it holds promise not only for life now, but also for life to come. So believer in Christ, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. So all of this, I think, is to remind us that the Christian life requires an element of personal effort and commitment. We need God's grace behind the scenes for everything we do, of course. But Scripture addresses us oftentimes on our responsibility. And Paul applies the notion of an athlete training hard so he can compete and win to to what the Christian life should be about as well. In other words, you're not going to compete and win. You're not going to make progress if you're just sitting on the couch all day long eating potato chips and drinking Diet Coke. Right, that's a recipe for the couch potato, but it's not a recipe for the Christian life. It takes blood, sweat, and tears. It takes time. It takes effort. And what Peter is saying, what Paul is also saying, is grow, grow, and it takes discipline to grow. And if we're not disciplining ourselves, then we're probably not going to make very much growth in our Christian life. So every Christian needs to think of themselves as a spiritual athlete in training. And what do athletes do? Well, they need to watch their diet. They can't just eat a lot of junk food. They got to eat good nourishing food. They need rest because you can't perform well if you're not resting well. And you need to commit time for vigorous spiritual exercise and training. And all this is going to require personal sacrifice. For those of y'all who engaged in sports growing up, just think back upon the demands of, of doing that. You know, for some of you, like if you wrestled, you had to watch your diet a lot. There were things you couldn't eat because you had to be losing weight or whatever it was. Or if you were in track or football or basketball or soccer, you had to practice, you had to train, you had to work on your skills, and it took time. And all of that, again, is what we should be mindful of as we seek to grow in grace and the knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Athletes have to learn to say no to things. They have to learn to deny themselves. We have to learn to say no to social media if it's stealing away our time with God. We have to learn to deny ourselves and deny so much of the entertainment or all of the extracurricular things we're doing if it's not allowing us to spend time in growing in grace and knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We need to look at our daily schedules. We need to find the time when we're most alert and that we can profitably spend time with God and engage in other disciplines of the faith. We need to discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness. So as spiritual athletes, there's several things we need to do to uh, strive and to run the, the race well. Obviously, we need a proper diet. And Peter has told us about this in his first letter, when he said in chapter 2, verse 2, 
like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. So in order to grow, you need a good diet. You need good food coming into your soul, into your mind, into your spirit. And that good food, according to Peter, is going to be the Word of God, the milk of the Word. Now, I don't think he's just, as Paul will contrast milk and meat, I think Peter is just encouraging the voracious appetite that babies have for milk. He's not undermining the importance of meat. He's using this as an analogy at just how regular and how voracious those little babies can be, how they love milk. And this is our attitude towards the Word of God. That if you're not eating well, if you don't have a good diet, then you're not going to be growing. And an athlete needs a good diet. If we're always subjecting our thought life to the media, to the world events, to all the issues that are out there, whether it's the entertainment, whether it's social media, whether it's news, and that's all you're plugging into your brain all the time, you're not going to be growing. We need the Word of God. We've got to discipline ourselves to eat the right kind of food. Even when the devil came and tempted our Lord, and he said, if you're the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. Jesus said to him, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. What Jesus was saying is, yes, we need physical bread, but we need spiritual bread as well. That's our food. And every Christian athlete, which we all are, need to be regularly eating God's gift, God's word, God's food for us. We're to be feeding ourselves on the milk and the meat of the word of God if we want to grow. Now, this is a responsibility for every single one of us. And sadly, in some churches, they have developed this uh, distinction between the clergy and the laity which is really kind of an unbiblical division within the church. And people can have the tendency to say, well, the clergy, you know, my, the preachers, the pastors, the elders, the Sunday school teachers, these are the people that really need to, to read the Bible and study the Bible, and, and they can teach us, and we'll learn it that way. But that's not what the Scriptures say is a responsibility. Every believer should grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Peter, when he exhorts us to do that, is not limiting it just to the leaders of the church. It's every one of us. We all have that responsibility. And it's really a false view to say that, well, some people... Now, now granted, some will do it more. Uh, I have the luxury of the time and the resources to do it more than, than many of you do. I, I know I'm not discrediting that. But don't think that because people in the church study it and teach it, therefore, that you don't have to. We all need to be eating this good, proper diet of the Word of God, and we need to be eating it regularly. And when we read it, when we eat it, we need to be learning the truth, but also living out the truth as well. You're not growing if you're just learning it You need to learn it and live it and love it. 
So we need to learn the Word of God, but we need to live the Word of God and, of course, love the Word of God. So Paul emphasizes, the, uh, excuse me, James emphasizes this in chapter 1 when he says, Prove yourselves doers of the Word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. So this is the point that we can draw into the proper diet. We need to, we need to eat it. We need to consume it. We need to digest it so our body can actually draw from the nutrients and grow. We need to live it out. We need to be doers of the Word. Paul says in Romans 12, we're transformed by the renewing of our minds so we can prove what the will of God is. So it so it's transforms us. Are we being transformed? That's a sign of growing. We see our lives becoming more like Jesus Christ. And we've got all these ups and downs to, to work with as well. But we are transformed by the renewing of our mind in the Word of God. So we need that proper diet. We need to be feasting on Scripture. And we need to be practicing it in our marriages, in our home life, at work, among friends, at church. If it's all just growing in knowledge and there's no love, then as Paul says, we're nothing. So we need to be eating regularly a good diet from God's Word. So what else does an athlete need to do? He needs a good diet, but he also needs good dialogue, and I'm using dialogue in the sense of the importance of prayer. Obviously, when we dialogue with God, He speaks to us through His Word, and we respond and we speak to Him in prayer. And again, Paul has emphasized the importance of this part of, this, of the Christian life in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7, when he said, The end of all things is near, Therefore, be of sober judgment, excuse me, sound judgment, sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. So we need to be praying. If we're not praying, it's going to stifle our spiritual growth. See, every athlete needs help. He needs outside help. An athlete needs a, a trainer. He needs a coach that he can go to with problems and issues and, and help to get that resolved. He needs someone that he can go to and, and, and share his needs. Someone who can respond and help him and coach him better. And our prayer life with God is very much a part of our training. It's part of the discipline that we need to develop. I think prayer is probably one of the areas that uh, most Christians struggle with a lot. And I'll put myself in that camp. I, I never think I pray as much as I should. But just as an athlete needs someone to bring his struggles to, you know, I'm not making progress, I'm not getting any faster, or I'm, my technique is bad, and, and he needs someone he can bring his struggles to, his troubles to, and get assistance. And that's part of the ministry of prayer. And so as spiritual athletes, we need to be praying regularly. Peter was concerned in his first letter, chapter 3, that husbands were not showing their wives honor. And he was concerned about that because if they were doing that, it would hinder their prayer life. And so Peter was very concerned that the husbands treat their wives well so that their prayers would not be hindered. 
He also went on to tell the church in his first letter that God hears and attends to the prayers of those who are doing good and turning away from evil. So Peter emphasized the importance as spiritual athletes that we engage in dialogue with God, that we're praying to the Lord. See, prayer is a vital part of our growth. It's a vital part of our communion and fellowship with God. In prayer, we express to Him our humility. We come to Him with our needs. We confess our utter helplessness, our total dependence upon Him. We can bring our troubles, our trials to Him, seek His grace, His strength, His wisdom, His skill to help us to live the Christian life better. And through prayer, the Spirit of God imparts sanctifying grace to our hearts and minds. It's oftentimes as I'm praying that the Spirit of God is sending down these grace packets into our heart and into our mind. It's amazing. We get that when we read the Word of God. The Spirit of God just takes these truths and, and, and He transforms us and He molds us more and He helps us to deal with sin more. But when we're praying, when we're connecting with our Father and we're just praising Him for His faithfulness, His goodness, His kindness, that God sends this grace into our heart to help us in time of need. That's why we're encouraged to, to draw near with boldness and confidence to the throne of grace. Why? So we can find grace to help in time of need. And when we're not praying, we're missing that great opportunity for God to bless us. And not only does that come through the Word of God, but it also comes through fellowship with the Lord in prayer. Uh, you may or may not be... Um, well, actually, we just sang it. In Matthew 11, it brings up another point in the Christian life, and that is the importance of... Actually, you know what? I got... Uh, let me back up for a second. Before we get into resting, Peter also encouraged us in this dialogue with God in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. He said, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And this, again, is a very important part of prayer that Peter says, look, as you grow in grace, you need to be praying because you need to be casting your anxiety on him. If we don't cast it on the Lord, knowing that he cares for us, he loves us, he's in control, he's got a good purpose, a good reason. But if we're not casting our anxiety on him, then it's weighing our heart and our spirit down. And then all the stress builds up, the anxiety, the worry builds up, and we're sinking like a rock. Prayer is one of the keys to lighten the load because we're casting our burdens on the Lord. Lord, I cannot handle this. Lord, this is too much for me. Oh, Lord, I give you that concern. I give you that burden. Oh, Lord, take it from me or lighten it from me. And through that, as the Lord communicates His love and His grace to our hearts, that He cares for us, then it can definitely have a sanctifying uh, work in our hearts to help us not worry or be anxious so much. Well, let me back up now, or actually moving forward now to the proper rest 
that when we sang this song, written by one of the missionaries, Renato Giuliani, in Italy, that we uh, we love their family, we love their ministry. But an athlete needs proper rest, and we need proper rest as well. And I'm focusing primarily on the spiritual rest that we have in Christ. Again, look at what the Lord said. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Now again, this is a part of that we can do in prayer. This is a part of the side benefit of prayer. But he says, come to me. Bring all your heaviness, bring all your weariness, and I will give you rest. And when he says, I will give you rest, I think there's a sense in which the spiritual rest that Christ gives is an inner peace that comes in our heart. It's a, it's a willingness to find contentment even in difficult circumstances because our God is in control. He says, take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So the rest that Jesus gives is, again, a rest where sometimes we can get so stirred up, so restless, so pacing around that the rest comes, and it's just like you can just breathe out and just, and just relax. You can relax in the Lord. Because you know He has your back. You know that He's in control. Again, there's a purpose that we may never find out why, but that God is using whatever it is for His own sanctifying purpose in our life. I will give you rest. And that rest comes from the Lord. And it's a precious gift that He gives. Again, in 1 Peter 5, 7 that we've already looked at, casting our anxiety upon the Lord because He cares for us. Hebrews chapter 4 talks about, by faith we have rested in Christ as we put our faith in Christ alone. And we're saved by faith alone in Christ alone. So we're resting from all those dead works of religion. We're resting, not trusting in me, trying to earn a certain level of righteousness before I can go to heaven. We're resting from all... Those are dead works. Those are works that incriminate us. That the works that save us are Christ's works. The righteousness that gets us to heaven is Christ's righteousness that we receive as a gift from Him. So we need to rest in that. We need to find God's peace. And we need to find His comfort. And Hebrews talks about we rest in Christ now by faith, looking forward to the day when we enter into His everlasting rest that God is still enjoying from day seven onward, and we enter into that rest also when we enter into His presence. So how, how well are we resting in Christ? How well are we resting in Christ for salvation alone? Am I overly anxious and stressed out about things in my life? Am I trusting and resting in God's promises to us? We need that proper rest if we're going to be a good spiritual athlete and run the race well. Of course, we also need proper worship. It's another important part of the Christian life as spiritual athletes. We need proper worship. Of course, this involves private worship and public worship, which we're doing here 
where we can enter into a form of rest because we have the blessing of not having to work today and we can rest and come and engage in in proper public worship. But there's also the private worship. Time that we spend in the Word, in prayer, in private worship of God. Reminding ourselves regularly that we're here today and gone tomorrow. That we need to invest our lives in eternity. We need to engage in private worship, spending time again, communing with God. We can also engage in reading books to help us to grow, good theology books, biographies, history books, histories of revival. It's a great encouragement to our faith. Commentaries, books on practical Christian living, but at the top of the list is reading the Word of God. Engaging in private worship, disciplining ourselves to do it regularly. And all of this is necessary for us to grow. And if you're not engaging in those things now on a regular basis, then you need to have a plan to start doing it. As someone once said, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. And I think for many of us, sometimes it's easy to let these spiritual disciplines go by the wayside. So that, well, we read our Bibles on Sunday, but maybe not any other day. We don't pray that much, come to church on Sunday mornings. But the type of discipline is far deeper than that to grow in grace and knowledge. We need to discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness. So that means to take an honest look at my life, to look at my schedule, and if I'm not engaging in these things, to make plans, come up with a plan to actually start committing myself to these disciplines more regularly. We need the public worship as well. The preaching of the Word of God, the Lord's Supper that we're about to enjoy here in a little bit. The author of Hebrews exhorted his readers, don't forsake your assembling of yourselves together, which is the habit of some, but encourage one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Public worship is a vital part of our growth in grace, where we can come and worship and sing and fellowship and hear the Word of God, remember the Lord, celebrate His death for us. All of this is an important part ordained by God for us to grow in grace and knowledge of the Lord. And then we need one more important aspect of this, of growing as spiritual athletes, and that's proper self-examination. I think athletes regularly evaluate how they've been doing. What areas do they need to improve in? And they may have coaches and other people to help them make that assessment But we need to stop and and evaluate ourselves. Am I making progress? Am I growing in grace? Am I growing in knowledge? Or am I neglecting the means of grace? Paul told the church at Corinth, test yourselves to see if you're in the faith. Examine yourselves. Or do you not recognize this about yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you fail the test? So he says, stop, test yourself, examine yourself. You see Christ in your life? 
You see grace working in your life? Peter had the same concern in his second letter, chapter 1. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about His calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. Be diligent. Has God chosen you? Has God called you into fellowship with His Son? Do you see evidence of that in your life? And even with someone like Timothy, who is a godly man, a leader within the church, he also needed to do this. Paul said to Timothy, don't neglect the spiritual gift within you. Take pains with these things. Be absorbed in them so that your progress will be evident to all. And pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things. For as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. So part of our disciplining of ourselves to grow in grace and knowledge as an athlete is to stop and take inventory. Am I making progress? Is my pace slowing down? Am I walking? Am I standing still? Or am I making progress? We need to constantly be weeding the garden and pruning the trees if we want it to bear fruit. We need to be asking ourselves questions like these. Am I allowing bad influences in my life? Are there friends who are leading me in a wrong and a bad direction? Remember what Paul said to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians 15. Bad company corrupts good morals. Are the people that I enjoy spending time with, hanging out with, Are they people that love the Lord? Are they going to have a good influence on me or a bad influence on me? And kids in particular need to hear that, but all adults as well. Am I growing spiritually? Am I spending time in the Word and in prayer? If not, I need to change. I need to discipline myself to develop those godly habits. Am I living out what I'm learning? Or am I more of a hypocrite, which we all are too, a degree, sadly, but am I learning and growing and living out what I'm learning? Am I actively serving the Lord? Am I involved in, involved in spreading the gospel in any way through giving or praying or actually talking to people about the gospel of Christ? Am I on guard against the temptations of sin? Am I watching my heart? Am I aware of my own weaknesses? Do I deny myself in order to serve others? How am I misusing my time? How am I misusing my money? Do my works and my actions honor Christ? What sins do I need to repent of? What sins do I need to grieve over and draw closer to the Lord to find power and strength to overcome them? Is my life influencing other people towards Christ? Am I growing downward in humility? Am I growing upward in knowing God? Am I growing outward in influencing others in the area of godliness? And how much do I love Christ? Well, if you're like me, I can read those questions 
and I'm, I'm immediately stricken with guilt and failure and weakness in a lot of these areas. So as we are engaging in self-examination, here's a word to the wise. Don't become overly introspective where you focus all your time on your own failures, on your own weaknesses, your own faults. Because if you're just looking at your life and seeing failure here and failure there and failure over there, then you're going you're gonna to become depressed. You're going to become down. You're gonna, your heart's going to sink. You're going to be discouraged. You're going to be the woe is me. So don't be overly introspective. But instead, remember two things which are very important when engaging in proper self-examination. Remember that, again, that we are justified by faith alone in Christ alone. Your performance in the Christian realm is not the key which determines your salvation. It's Christ's work. We're trusting Christ alone to save us. His righteousness, not ours. So you need to continually be reminded that, yes, I have failed in these areas. Lord, please forgive me. Lord, give me grace. Help me. But Lord, my salvation is not dependent ultimately upon me. I am trusting in the finished work of Christ. If you do not keep preaching the gospel to yourself, it would be easy to become so disillusioned that uh, we become so discouraged that we're not making any progress at all. So you need to see and keep your eyes upon Jesus Christ. See more of Christ, because the more of Christ that you see, the more of Christ you will become. So grow in a greater vision of the glory of Christ, the merits of His atoning blood that we're about to celebrate the sufficiency of His sacrifice for all of your sins, and the complete and total satisfaction that the Father has because of His sacrifice. Paul says, But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. I think what he's saying in there is the more we... We keep our eyes on Christ, the more we're being transformed into the likeness of Christ. We're being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. So keep your eyes on Christ. And secondly, remember that you're not alone in running your race, in fighting your fight, that you have the help and the presence of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God dwells in you. He's the helper. He's the paraclete. He's the one that can give you more faith. He can give you more courage. He can give you more strength. He can comfort your heart. He can sanctify you. He can give you more power. He can give you more conviction. He can help you run your race with endurance. So we have a mighty helper who dwells within us. So though you may engage in self-examination and you're not where you want to be none of us are that 
Just be sure that you don't become overly introspective, but that you remember the sacrifice of Christ and the help of the Holy Spirit. So Peter has exhorted us to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. So where are you? Where am I? Are we growing? Or are we stagnant? Or are we shrinking? If we're not making progress, we're going to fall over like riding a bike. So don't measure your, your growth by your feelings. You can often be growing even when you're, you have sinking feelings because you're looking to the Lord and you can be growing even in that. Don't evaluate your growing by your activities for God. A lot of people can be very busy and active in serving God without actually being devoted to God. It's not just based on your activities. Or don't measure your growth just by how well things are going. Well, life is going well now, so I'm, you know, things are going well spiritually. Oftentimes when life is happy and healthy and without major irritations, or problems or evil circumstances, then we go to sleep spiritually and we start to grow stagnant. That's when the winds are blasting, the waves are crashing up over the sides of the boat, the boat seems to be sinking. That's when we cry out to Christ. That's when we draw near to Him. And that's when we find His grace to rescue us and we find ourselves growing. So measure your growth primarily in your relationship with Christ. Are you having fellowship with Him? Are you becoming more like Him? Is your love for Him growing? And this, I think, is the best and, and final test. So Paul has exhorted us to discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness, like a spiritual athlete, which requires proper diet, proper dialogue with God in prayer, proper rest, worship, self-examination, but most of all, to look to Christ and to draw near to Him. And this is really, I think, how we live out Peter's exhortation to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Grow as a spiritual athlete. Discipline yourself. Look at your life and find the areas where we need to make progress and improvement and then seek the help from God to actually move further and faster in that direction. And may God help us all to do that. As we keep our eyes upon Christ, it's our privilege now to celebrate the Lord's Supper.